your cultural competence. Listen to interesting stories. Learn about the cultural pitfalls and how to avoid them. Get the global perspective here at Culture Matters Podcast on International Business. We help you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences, helping you develop your cultural competence. It's the Culture Matters Podcast, and you're listening to episode number 50. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are listening. Welcome to this uh, interview podcast, where this week we have Sunday Bean, all the way from Africa. Sunday is an executive coach, intercultural specialist, and trainer. She supports organizations by helping their employees and the accompanying families live well and work successfully across cultures without losing their sense of adventure. She's American by birth, Swiss by marriage, and an expat in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, which is in Africa, and she is that by choice. It's a good interview where we uh, even sometimes get philosophical, and typically when we talk about third culture kids and being or becoming a cultural relativist. Stay tuned. It's time for this week's guest at the Culture Matters Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Smith. Good morning, Sunday. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you, Chris, for having me today. What time is it at yours now? We are at 842. 842. Okay, it's 9.41 here, so there's one hour and one minute time difference. Oh, no, it's 42 here as well. It just jumped, uh, jumped one minute. Welcome, Sunday, to the uh, to the show, the Culture Matters podcast. And uh, it's uh, uh, we've heard a bit of you of, of the introduction in the, uh, in the introduction of this podcast about yourself. But I'd like to ask you as well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you come from? Uh, where are you now? And what is your, what would you call your cultural friendship? of reference please okay so where i come from where am i now my cultural reference so i'm originally from williston north dakota so that is um an agricultural state that borders canada and i was born and raised there and um I moved away after traveling abroad, uh, studying abroad and then traveling abroad to switzerland in 2000 and spent um a greater part of 12 years in Switzerland, with the exception of my um, master's degree back in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And now I live in Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, which is in West Africa. You need to and repeat that here. again, please. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Ouagadougou. <laughs> Ouagadougou. Yeah. Um, it's, you have to look at all well, – I'm sure you'll show the spelling in the introduction. It's quite an interesting um, city and the home of a recent um, revolution and coup d'etat and – peaceful election after a transitional government. So very exciting place to be at the time. We've been here since August 2013. Mm-hmm. And my cultural frame of reference is, that's an interesting one. Um, I am an intercultural specialist, so that one is quite complicated to answer. I will give a short one. Mm-hmm. Personally, personally, I feel like um, I work hard to have a cultural relativist perspective, so I recognize um, my my values and my cultural preferences and communication preferences are deeply, deeply influenced by being born and raised in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. But spending more of my adult life actually in Switzerland, I've adapted um, my mindset and my, my viewpoints. And then living in, in West Africa as well, um, that it continues to expand the way I see the world. So I try, I, I call my cultural perspective, I would say, is one of, um, learning about myself and um, about how other people see the world. 
Yes. All right. Well, that's that's very interesting. There are are several things that we can touch upon, um, and uh, as as you speak, I'm making like quick notes here. And what am I looking at here? I saw a video on your site, which is jogging in Burkina Faso, mm-hmm. and which I which I want to talk. Well, just uh, silly questions, really. Uh, Milliston or Williston in uh, North Dakota? Williston. Okay, yep. Williston, yep. North Dakota. That's that's a cold country. That's a cold area, I guess. In winter. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes. yes, it is. Yeah, there was. I remember going to college, and um, at that moment, there was it was. Minus 90 deg- uh, degrees Fahrenheit, wow. and that meant your uh, skin could freeze within three seconds if you went outside. Uh-huh. Um, or I would, you know, take a shower in the morning and have to walk across campus, and my eyelashes would stick together, <laughs> and God. my hair would be, like, frozen. So it was really miserable, and that probably has a big influence on why we're in Burkina Faso and not Mongolia. Because okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, the- that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm asking as well is is because I've I've met uh, many people from from Asia, most of them being Indian, and they would come then to work in in the Netherlands where I was working at that time, and they would just you know in summer in our summer our our, our Western European summer where we, summer temperatures are what is it centigrade about twenty five thirty degrees yeah. I mean yeah. up here in this area where I'm currently am which is Belgium, um, and they and we would say the locals would say well. This is nice and warm, short-sleeved shorts and stuff like that. And these guys would all be wrapped up. And so their transition from being from from a, a tropical country to a colder country is uh, difficult. Was yeah. it difficult yeah. for you to adjust from, from the cold to the heat, the constant heat where you are now? Yeah, I, I, honestly, um, that is an important factor of the weather. And um, I just actually wrote an article about how um, really important part of expat fatigue or expat resilience is dealing with the weather because, you know, I would, um, you know, I was living in Switzerland, so 25 degrees was nice. Yeah. And um, now that's cold here. So I'll put socks on and I'll wear you know, a okay. sweater in the house. Right. Um, and the heat was hard because it is oppressive and mm. that um, it takes your energy away. It, it um, shortens your patience. Yeah. Um, so, it, it really affects so much of your daily life. And you can even have physical responses to it, like skin rashes, or you're putting air conditioning in your home. So um, it's really important not to um, underestimate the impact weather can have, whether it's hot weather or mm. cold weather, or dark skies, or, that it has on somebody. Simply um, on, so, on surviving as an expat when you're all of a sudden being put in a different climate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. right. And um, you know, some people, I know people that, are European who live here and they've been in Africa for quite a long time and they miss the four seasons that you grow up and it means home, you know, when the seasons change, your clothes change, your food changes. So it can really play a a big role. And I don't think enough people are talking about it. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that's a good point. It's actually, it's something that I never really considered uh, having such an influence on, uh, on expatriation as such in general. So it's from hot to cold from, and from cold to hot and also missing the four seasons. Yes. Yep. Okay. Good point. Very yep. interesting uh, uh, angle there. Uh, so you you went to Switzerland and now you're in Burkina Faso. Yes. Uh, why those? Why Switzerland? <laughs> I know. Again, Indians go to Switzerland. Strangely enough, I thought that was very 
uh, entertaining or educational. Swi- the Indians go to Switzerland because a lot of the Bollywood movies are shot in Switzerland right. because right. They actually they they uh, resemble the backdrop of um, the Himalayas, but it's easier. There the circumstances are easier to shoot a movie in Switzerland. Was that the same reason? Are you a Bollywood star? <laughs> <laughs> well, just look me up. Google Bollywood and Sunday Bean, you'll see my films. No, um, yeah. I um, I met a Swiss guy in Vietnam in 1999, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I ended up in Switzerland. So my husband, my, he was then uh, my boyfriend, he and I um, were quite serious about each other. And we had to make the decision, are we going to be in the U.S. or will we be in Switzerland? Yeah. And at that time, I decided... Um, I was really hungry for more cultural adventure. I had begun, um, I said, abroad in Spain and traveled in Southeast Asia on my own. I really wanted to to do more and learn more about different cultures. So I was excited about that. And logistically, his community was in a very, very tight um, circumference, you know, around the capital of Switzerland. And my friends and family were dispersed all over uh, the United States and even in parts of the world. So it was kind of, um, you know, what made sense at the time and um, what turned out to be, you know, we were going to be there for a year and take a world trip. Mm-hmm. It turned into four and a half years and then it turned into 10 years. So that we, we just ended up um, sort of establishing roots there. And um, it was, it's a really, really important part of my journey because um, different from the expat experience, it was me mm-hmm. and trying to get embedded in, um, Bernese culture from all my friends who are from from Bern and understanding the local dialect and understanding the local culture. And you're so, talking about Switzerland now, right? Yeah, 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 in Bern, in the capital. Bern, um, the capital, yes. Exactly, and they speak uh, they speak Bernese German, uh, so it's a special dialect. And so, really trying to understand that community and um, my the family I married into and the friends I was knowing. So it was a really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, personal process for me. And the reason why we left Switzerland to go to Burkina Faso, um, there were two reasons uh, why we decided to do that. One, um, my husband was looking for opportunities abroad and um, found a very good match. And myself, as an intercultural specialist, had been in Switzerland for over a decade. And um, I was serving really amazing clients, um, kind of doing, really honestly doing my dream job. I was the head of intercultural management for a very large company and serving internal and external clients. At the same time, I looked at myself and I said, okay, I, my big cultural adaptation took place, you know, during the first years of moving to Switzerland. But for me to really stay on top of my field, I felt like I had to walk the talk a little bit and push myself right. again. So moving to a developing country, um, putting myself into a French context um, it was a totally different historical background and level of fragility that is not experienced in Switzerland felt like a really good development step for me so I could serve um, my clients better and also different clients. I can imagine it's quite a, a moving country is, is, uh, is quite significant. If you've never done it, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's worthwhile trying. Um, but it is quite difficult. If you would yeah. be able to describe, say, let's let's keep it try to keep it simple. Three cultural differences between the Americans and the Swiss, and, the, and maybe generalizing the Swiss to some extent, maybe the German Swiss then, because that's the biggest population in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Okay, so <clears throat> what pops up first? Um, 
well, are we going to get technical, like cultural dimensions or just general? Try, try, um, just give it a try and we'll, we'll subtitle it if necessary. Okay. I think um, one of the biggest things is um, a preference for privacy orientation or public orientation, uh-huh. where one difference that I noticed right away was that there's a higher preference for privacy in Switzerland. And that's where you, you know, all these jokes that go, are going online about you can't flush the toilet after 10 and don't use the laundry machine, um, you know, on the weekend. It's actually um, a really, it's a, a sign of a need for privacy. They don't want, people don't want to hear what you're doing. They want to have their space. Or as, if, as opposed to the United States, that is now. Yeah, yes. where, where, you know, it's, there's uh, more noise is allowed. For example, um, I noticed when I was pregnant that um, the way that you're treated, um, when you're pregnant is very different depending which country you're in. Mm. And one, I noticed there's a much more um, uh, respect for privacy in Switzerland where people won't ask as many questions, won't touch your belly yeah. <laughs> as much. And it's, it's an acknowledgement um, of, of privacy. So that one, one thing I think is important for people to know is when you want to connect with people, that might be an invasion of their privacy too much too fast. Um, and it's something that they're not used to. So I, I think um, that was a big difference is um, – and that's related to friendship I think as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how you make friends, what you talk about, even at an airport. You know, what – sometimes when I go back to the U.S., I'm like, wow, I can't believe I learned that your you know, nephew is in jail and what's going on with your cousin. Like you <laughs> learn so much about people and it's fun. I really, I really like that interaction, but it's very different from the level of disclosure you'll get um, – so that's one. Um, what would be another one? I think um, individualism and collectivism might yeah. surprise you um, because Swiss are also individualistic on a big, you know, sort of grand scale. Should be. But, yeah. but, um, but the U.S. is much more individualistic and that gap um, is, is significant. So one example of that is um, when I was younger, my husband said, why don't you call – um, medium and you guys can get on the tram together and go to the party, um, you know, at eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I know how to get on the tram. I know where the party's at. I could go myself. And his viewpoint was, wait a minute, she's in the neighborhood. You could go together. So more of a, a group orientation yeah. um, that I noticed. And that isn't, um, I wouldn't say that's national, um, that I can apply that nationally, but the mm-hmm. difference is there even though it's still individualistic and that I noticed. Yes, um, it's noticeable then, at least, yeah. Yeah, and when, if, if I hear Swiss criticizing Americans, it's from a value perspective of too individualistic. Yeah, superficial. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, that's what I get a um, lot from Western Europeans in general about the yeah. Americans as well. Yeah. Okay, can, yeah. Can, can we move it now to, to Burkina Faso? And, and, yes. and so what difference do you see between you or you have coming from an American society and um, Burkina Faso? And again, Burkina Faso is a landlocked country, right? Yes, yep, absolutely. And it's, it's in the, Sahel. In, yeah, up, so it's in the, uh, what is it, in the north, not in the north, but it's in west, the east, uh, west, sorry, the west, west of, Africa, of Africa. Africa, yeah. south of Mali, north of um, Ivory Coast. Yeah. Uh, Ghana, exactly. So what cultural so, differences would um, you see there? Cultural differences, big ones. Um, I would say the hierarchy orientation uh-huh. uh, versus equality orientation is one of the biggest. So, um, you know, in the United States, there's if there is 
if there are differences in hierarchy through power or status, people minimize them through the way that they might use first names or the way that they dress. But in Burkina Faso, there's a strong hierarchy orientation. Uh -huh. So people um, give authority to their elders. Yep. And what's um, quite beautiful is um, – which I think that uh, we lose a bit in the United States with um, how we see the elderly, that they really um, go to the elders for advice and direction. So that is a really important one. Um, mm -hmm. I think it puts a lot of pressure on people. For example, if you're the oldest son of the family, yep. you have an immense amount of pressure to take care of the younger sons or daughters and their families. So it, I, I do believe um, that that with every orientation, there's a positive and negative. And I think how um, some might struggle in being the third poorest country on the planet, that that is an immense amount of pressure to provide for a lot of people. Yeah, I can imagine. Collectivism, I guess. Uh, Collectivist yeah, country. Yeah, beautiful example. Um, hey, tell us a story. My, <laughs> one of my um, Burkina Bay colleagues told me that this idea of the group um, where, and again, versus individualism. For example, if I invited someone um, for a drink um, after work and they brought one of their cousins, I would be surprised. Like, wait a minute, I invited you, exactly. not the person I don't know. And one interpretation could be, what are they doing? Are they taking advantage of me? Why did they bring someone? But the Burkina Bay um, example would be, by bringing other people, you are honoring the person who invited you because there's power in the group. And I thought that was right. really beautiful. And I said, well, what if you only have money to pay for one, you know, Coca-Cola and not two? And he said, if there's one, there's two, Yes. which means you take the one and then you have half. And you split it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's beautiful. That's, that's quite, uh, that's a nice, those are nice examples. Can I borrow that story? Yeah, please do. Please do. It's really beautiful. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a really nice story. Um, Burkina Faso, uh, is this a, a Muslim country or is it a Christian country? Yes. It's, um, it's Muslim, but there, there, there's a lot of um, religious diversity and a high level of tolerance. Okay. It's, um, it, for, it's not necessarily that I need to, need to dive into to, to the, the division Muslim and Christianity and all that kind of stuff. But That's, dominant Awesome. Yep. Yeah, well, this, we're recording this on December 9th, uh, 2015, um, and, and keeping in mind what's happening in the world, and that's not what we're going to talk about. It's more or less about, about you, you know, being in, in, in sun, Sunday, being you yourself as the guest on this, on this podcast is, uh, how do you, how do you experience any of, of any, anything around you? Do you, do you feel safe? I mean, you go out jogging. Can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? How is that life as an American and Swiss couple in the area there? Uh, it's um, it's lovely. It's really lovely. Um, I feel you asked if I feel safe. I do feel absolutely safe. In fact, when I look at the news, uh, what's going on in Europe and the United States, I feel safer here than I do in, in some other places. I, I have to recognize that um, with the whole um, ISIS Boko Haram um, situation, and there was just a bombing in Mali. Mm -hmm. uh, that that is. Um, geographically far away, um, but it's still within the region. So of course it's on my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't feel um, I don't feel afraid. I feel like the Burkina Bay are very good in terms of trying to be aware of security measures, and the historical context is very different in Burkina Faso than it is Mali. So they're not the same thing. Um, I feel um, the precautions I take in Burkina or in Ouagadougou are the same as I would in any city. 
mm-hmm. um, in terms of out, out going out at night or if I hold my bag, etc. There is some um, there are some things I wouldn't do right now. I wouldn't um, I wouldn't go on specific um, uh, road trips uh, because of banditry, and I would definitely not go along certain areas um, of the Malian border. Um, because of threats. But my daily life, absolutely, I feel very safe. The Burkina Bay are amazing, hospitable. Um, it, it is, it's a great context, and I don't, um, I don't feel any different than I would um, right. in any sort of uh, random city, to and, be honest. And, and what did the local people say about this? Um, about what's going on? I think, it's a, I think they feel very sad because they're, the, the, the Muslim uh, community has nothing to do with um, the extremist uh, mm. actions that are going on. So I think they feel saddened that it's what is going on in our name. It's not, they're just, I don't even connect the two, to be honest. Mm. They're two very separate things. Um, so uh, it's just mind boggling. And, yep. um, and people, honestly, I think people are aware of what's going on uh, globally and, but their, their focus is, is very immediate on um, on their lives and getting through um, their week, their day. Um, you know when when you're just struggling to exactly. to feed your family or to 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 improve the de- the democratic situation of the country. They have a very immediate focus on yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a uh, it's an advice that um, that I hear coming up more and more is to watch different local news. So if you watch, like you said yourself, I mean, you're you're in you're you're not in that situation, but you are in a total different part of the world. So you get a different view in any case. And um, and I know the majority of the of the audience is actually located in the United States. And watching different news channels will give you not yeah. American news channels, but foreign news channels. Like uh, yeah. there are there is Russia Today, there is Al Jazeera, and there is of course there are the, the standard cnn and bbc news channels but i mean getting a new getting a different angle or channel news channel will give you different perspective and i guess you being there will give you a total different perspective as well it's it's um it brings me to a a new story you're telling the uh about the local population you know worrying about you know this what's gonna what what will tomorrow bring i can recall years ago i was giving a a sales training that was really a hundred years ago and I was preaching is a is a is a bad word to use, but for lack of a better word, it's uh, I, I I was a group of of international people, multicultural if you want to use the with the word cultural, and I said you guys you need to do uh, A B and C and then one two and three etc cetera, etc cetera, for to complete your whole sales process because that's the sales process that we've designed uh, designed. I was working for an airline at that time, and uh, then one guy from uh, I think it was Nigeria or Ghana which is relatively close where you are at least yep. is he raised his hands and then he said, Chris, what am I, how do you do all this? If you have only two hours of electricity a day. Yep. And then I yep. was, I was dumbstruck. I was like, yeah, this just blows everything out of the water because yep. everything goes overboard like that. What are typical yep. challenges that you face in everyday mm-hmm. life? You get up, does the water cooker work? Does the air conditioning work? Do you have air conditioning? Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's a very good point about electricity. Um, one, we are absolutely privileged um, <laughs> to be here, and and um, we are very privileged to have a house that has electricity and running water and a generator in case the electricity doesn't go off. So our challenges are nothing compared to people who don't have electricity, mm. don't have running water. So just want to make a very clear statement there. But as an expat, I'll speak as an expat, yeah. um, what to expect if you've never been abroad in a developing country. 
Um, we do have electricity and we have a generator, but sometimes the generator doesn't work. So then you don't have electricity right. or we have running water, but sometimes the water is cut. So we don't have water. Um, we have internet, but sometimes the internet doesn't work or the phone. So it's this unpredictability yeah. um, that you deal with. And, um, that's just very – that is now that's just normal. You, you make plans. And like when we were making our call, I have you know plan A, B, and C in mm -hmm. terms of telephone numbers because you just develop strategies to deal with that. Yep. And you are kind of um, vulnerable. So if, it, if it's off, it's off and you can't do anything. You can make a phone call, but it's out of your hands. So you learn to be flexible with that. Um, one thing that's – and I think that's really important for people who are doing business internationally – even if they're doing, let's say they're doing business with Nestle, which people think of, you know, this big headquarters in Switzerland and very, very high developed technology. Don't forget that Nestle is present in a lot of developing countries. Mm -hmm. And in fact, those people might not have internet all day. They might not have air conditioning and they might not have electricity. So you wanted that report or you needed this um, thing to happen. It just seriously might not be possible. The other thing to think about if you do international business in developing contexts is what if there's a political um, disruption and that, you know, seeing we had the, um, the revolution in uh, October last year, we had the coup d'etat in September this year, that when things are going on like that, um, London still might be waiting for um, a report, but your attention might be on security issues. And if you, if you're in, um, let's say New York City, and you've never dealt um, in a developing country face to face yourself, it might be harder to have empathy for. Oh, why can't you get the report in? So I think that's really important to understand what's going on in your um, subsidiaries or in the branches because their lived day-to-day -day experience might be very different than the comforts um, that you have in your office in a developing country. Yeah. Yeah, it makes good sense. I'm just trying to imagine what it is that, that all of a sudden you hit a light switch and nothing happens. Yeah. And, then, and we start, <laughs> we say in the West, in the developed world, if you want, we start complaining, like, how can this be, et cetera. Yeah. And how, how often do you have electricity 24-7? I mean, in general, yeah, yes. I, I mean, I, I do, I do, um, but not everybody, you know, people in the villages might have um, no electricity, um, but expats typically um, have access to electricity if they're on a, you know, a typical expat assignment. So I do. And um, so for that, that uh, way, like I said, we're very, very, very privileged. How far would you need to drive to get your Big Mac if you want to? Oh, my God, you have to leave the country. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so McDonald's yeah, hasn't entered, entered Burkina Faso yet. No, I would never drive anywhere for a Big Mac, but um, <laughs> no, if you want to, I added that. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no, um, no, there's nothing. Okay, all right, fair enough. You maybe uh, you'd have to go to Ghana or Ivory Coast. Okay, how how just for for to get a sense of, of of distance, how long a flight would that be from Ouagadougou? Um, if I fly to Paris or to Brussels, it takes about five to six hours. Okay. It's actually not far. It's really not far. Yeah. Um, I think flying time is probably five to six hours. Yeah. All right. Nice. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that you uh, or you call yourself a cultural relativist, and you can you elaborate a little bit on that? What does what does that mean, or what should one do to become one a cultural relativist? Okay. So what I mean by that is, I I understand what my values are, my preferences are, uh -huh. and that I know. I think that's really important for people to know. At the same time. I think it's important for people to step out of their perspective 
and try to see it from someone else's um, viewpoint. So this idea of your cultural lens. So if I can say, well, if I had a very hierarchy orientation instead of an equality orientation, how might um, the request I just made feel to me? Will that help me lose face or, or gain face? Like, will, um, will can that be example? Can you give an example, please? Um, so an example, um, let me just think here. If I'm going to give feedback to someone, right. for example, if I'm a young uh, woman and I have to um, give feedback to an older man from Burkina Faso, mm -hmm. he's higher in the hierarchy um, than me because of his age. And so when I need to give feedback or if I maybe have to make a request for him to do something for me and he's actually higher in the hierarchy, how do I need to frame it in a way that it's a polite request? And that's just coming from the top of my head. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. So, so I think that's important. I also think, um, for example, when people um, – anytime someone gets judgmental, meaning they're wrong, it's too much, it's not enough – it's because we're not looking at it from their cultural perspective. Right. Um, so if people say Americans are superficial because you go to a restaurant and you say, hi, I'm Kathy, um, what would you like to order? And they make nice chit-chat. It's judging it um, by going too fast or too much private information when, in fact, from an American perspective, it would be, it's a night out. Let's make this fun. Let's engage. Let's be playful. Mm -hmm. So – Having that relativist perspective is important to not judge. Okay, I'm, I'm, and I'm that's, yeah. yeah, and I think I want to make a point that's really important. That's not um, that's not uh, like a moral relativism in a sense no. of not to say you have to accept everything and think everything is okay. But I think in the moment, trying to see it from their perspective. So if you take female genitalia mutilation yeah. um, in countries like West Africa. Um, to be able to try to say what what's the meaning behind that, um, I might have a viewpoint of whether I think it's right or wrong from a human rights perspective. But let me first try to understand why it's in the culture. Why has it pervaded? And then what um, groups are doing here is they're able to create the same ceremony but without the physical damage, so not the real cut. So they've created the ceremony and meaning around it, and they removed the health risk and yep. psychological damage. Yeah. So that's what I mean about the value of cultural relativism. Makes makes good sense. A couple of episodes ago in the in this Culture Matters podcast, we had um, Ricardo, sorry, uh, Pellegrino Ricardi. That's his last name, yep. and he actually phrased it like this: "Cultural differences isn't about them; it's about you." Yes. Which, which I thought, and you nicely elaborated on this one, uh, like, yep. like this as well. And I would, I would add, it's uh -huh. about us. So it yeah. has to be first about you. Absolutely, you need to know what your preferences are, your judgments are, what your values are. But me, in relation to someone else, it mm. always changes based on who's in front of me. Yeah. Because my identity gets triggered, their historical context gets triggered, their power dynamics. It, you know, it depends on the context. So it's definitely about you, but it's also about us. Yes. So if you and I look at the, at one river, we both see a different river. Yeah. Yeah. And it's what we're creating in that moment because when when I have an interaction with someone, um, I interact, and I'm going to get big picture here. For example, um, 
with a historical context. So when you look at race relations that's going on in the U.S., it's not about what's going on now. It's about the historical context that we're still filling the poll from um, in terms of a history of slavery. So when it's not me as a white woman in the grocery store with a black man, mm-hmm. it's history. So that's what I mean. It's it's not just about me. It's about us because mm. we are in context and we are in a context of history yeah. and of power. And it, that's why it's more than just an individual. Yeah. So both colors are involved in this in this example. Yeah. Both um both sides. levels. Yeah. 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 Both sides. Yeah. It's uh, there's uh, that's very nicely. We all, we almost got philosophical here, so we really, <laughs> really appreciate. Sorry that. about that. <laughs> no, so that's fine. On this early morning, at least for you, it is. Um, it's uh, so not not lightening it up per se, but I like I like these kind of discussions because uh, they they make me think as well, and that's I hopefully the audience as well make you think as well. I'm talking to you, the audience, the listener. Uh, there's one topic uh, that I'd like to touch upon as well because um, in a couple of days I will have a talk. It'll be a podcast as well with a guy called Tayo Roxon, and he calls himself. Oh, I know him. Yeah, know him. yeah, yeah. He's great. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We've done uh, podcasts together. Okay, cool as well. Yeah. Okay, so Tayo is going to be on the show as well. And uh, if you're listening this to this in the future, that is past December, then uh, you can uh, find uh, the, his episode as well on the Culture Matters website, culturematters.com. But the 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 topic uh, Sunday that I'd like to to finally discuss with you if that's okay with you is you mentioned in your bio that you have a uh, that you have um third country third no, third culture kids third culture kids tck's exactly. and that's that's yep. his his motto in a way as well can you describe yep. to us what it is to for for these kids maybe mm-hmm. or just ta- tell us a little bit about what you what you see as tck's third cultural kids Okay, so for people who don't know what a TCK is, a third culture kid is a child who grows up outside of the passport culture of his of himself or his mother and father. So my children are Swiss and American, but they're growing up in Burkina Faso. And what that means is um, their, their sense of identity is not uh, developed in the same way as mine was, where I was born and raised in North Dakota. Right. So I had mm-hmm. all the familiar things and the stability. Um, my children, for example, I, won, I got my um, then two year old, now three year old, um, taking his plate back to the kitchen and he put his plate on his head and walked it back into the kitchen <laughs> because you see some women do that here all the time. That's how they so carry cool. Fruit. It's so beautiful. Yeah. So um, what what that example is, they are alert. Their socialization is very complex because they're getting American traditions, they're getting Swiss traditions, and their um, their sensory experience as a child right now is very influenced by Burkina Faso, and um, their and their sense of home is right now also Burkina Faso. So that's a oh, third culture kid. Um, as a parent, my challenge is to um, foster my children's um, childhood in a way that. They feel a sense of identity, even though it's not put into a neat, tidy box, Mm -hmm. that they have a sense of home. They know who they are and they can name their complexity and know that that's okay. And um, I think that's really exciting. I think third culture kids um, will have a great advantage in the next 30 years when our uh, population continues to explode in sub-Sahel Africa and South Asia Mm -hmm. and our mobility – and the, the wealth is distributed differently. We have much more mobility in China that our kids will be able to go, oh, yeah, I've lived in Africa. I've lived in Asia. 
I, I am all of that, that they can see themselves and identify with different um, regions of the world and different ways of being. I think that's, although they, they carry a burden, there is a, um, a danger of what's called rootlessness and restlessness where they don't know what their roots are and they don't know, they feel like they need to keep moving. That is a bit of a burden that they carry, but the advantage is um, the way that they're able to see the world that's um, much more complex than, let's say, if you're homegrown in, in one area like I was. Is, is there anything special that you do with them or tell them to to cultivate this or to just let it happen? Or do you do you stop it sometimes? Do you influence it in, in any way? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so how I enhance it is I try to yeah. give children an idea of home, like um, that we have – We have the home here in Burkina where our house is and our cozy little nest. Mm -hmm. um, we also, home is also Switzerland where my two sons were also born. But we also feel home in the United States when we're with grandma and grandpa. So trying to, to talk about where they're from. So if they're asked to do like a, a national presentation in school, I'm always like, oh, which country do they present? Because <laughs> I, want, I want them to feel a sense of uh, both, not either or. Yeah. Um, so I do, try to, I do try to foster that. Uh -huh. um, you you kind of caught me on something where what do I stop? For example, I have a bit of a dilemma with my when my children – Um, are with their English because they're exposed to so many different types of English. Uh -huh. And I have to, like, I'm, I'm torn between, you know, being uh, an American and how I was raised to speak and the interculturalist in me because my son will come home with British expressions or will mm -hmm. pronounce things like Francophone Africans speak English. Mm -hmm. And so I'm Do I let that go? Do I, you know, do yeah, I correct yeah. that? And I, yeah. you know, I kind of have an inner uh, dilemma in myself of how much um, do I let the reins go for my son to just naturally develop as he's developing, and how much do I foster exactly. a sense of identity? So, what, what, what do you do? What is there something? Because yeah, I, um, I struggle to some extent with the with the same thing. I mean, to some extent, my my daughter is half Indian. Uh, I'm Dutch, and we're living in yeah. Belgium. I mean, it's not yeah. as far out as moving from Switzerland or the U.S. to to Africa, but nonetheless, the cultural differences are there. Sometimes Absolutely. I think, well, hang on, this is this is. Do I want to her, yeah. my daughter, then in this case, to be thinking this? I don't know. Right. Right. So how I do it? Um, language. I try to do something. I try to say something like. Um, this is how mama says it uh -huh. and that's how papa says it. So because my husband speaks Swiss German, so I try to say mama and papa and not make it like a big national thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, speak American. You know, that's not what I, what I do not right. want to do. So I like, this is how mama says it. That's how papa says it. Um, and then in terms of identity, I just try to celebrate what I feel like celebrating. Mm. Um, and yes, he recognizes that Halloween is American. Okay. Um, but I, I try to just celebrate what feels good for me. We do Thanksgiving. Um, I do uh, thanks, uh, Valentine's Day. And um, I try to frame it like this is what mama grew up with. Right. And he can connect the dots himself. Yeah. Um, I also really try um, to catch my son when he's doing things that are gender or nationality, like very uh, stereotypical, uh -huh. I try to, um, I, I don't really let that fly. I try to, I know that like um, developmentally though, you know, when you're seven years old, that's kind of what your brain goes in categories. But I try to challenge him a little bit on that. Like um, 
if they say that's a girl color or a girl toy, I'm like, oh, is that true? And we, we talk about it or with nationalities. I do the same thing just to sort of plant the seed now that it isn't black and white. It isn't the Dutch are like this and the Germans are like that. It's not that simple because we are more than our nationality. We're, we have a gender, we have an age, we have a family culture, we have a professional background that I really want them to see that it's not that simple. Cool. Sounds uh, sounds very interesting. Um, we're we're closing in towards the end, Sunday, if that's okay with you, uh, of the interview. That is, and um, the, the the most difficult question is still to come. Can you give us three tips to become more culturally competent? Um. Okay. You knew this was uh, coming, right? Because you, no, I didn't. I you didn't. didn't. No. Oh, okay. No. Uh, first thing would be really get to understand what your own cultural preferences are. What are your values? Because if you understand if the way you see the world, because it's like the fish out of water thing, mm -hmm. we don't, um, you have to know that and be able to name it. That's the first step. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing I would do is um, get curious um, about other cultures and their perspective and um, test your assumptions with people. Like, this is what I'm thinking. I have a hunch it's that. Is that true? And the third thing, I would recommend is to probably surprising. Mm -hmm. um, I would say to make sure that you are really um, well balanced in terms of sleep and health and, and um, all of that, because if you are working across cultures and things are against your values or surprise you, you're going to get triggered and you're going to make assumptions and you might take action um, that you could benefit from thinking about, um, in advance. So if you're healthy and grounded and, and stable, you're in a much better place to reflect, okay, what's going on and what's the role of culture here? That's an interesting last one for sure. Be healthy and grounded. Make sure yep. that you're well balanced. Yep. Very, very, um, very interesting. Really good stuff here, Sunday. Thank you very much for uh, for doing this, this interview and taking the time out of your... Uh, Uagadugu schedule, I guess, to <laughs> to come on this show. How can people get in touch with you if they want to? Um, they are welcome to check out my website, which is uh, sundaybean.com, S-U-N-D-A-E-B-E-A-N. They can uh, email me directly. You'll see that on my site or sign up to my newsletter so they get updates mm -hmm. on the newest insight that I have. All right. Thanks, Chris, for inviting me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Excellent. Thank you. And Skype even held up. How about that? I know. I'm so proud. Thank you. To, uh, <laughs> Take the care then. <laughs> Bye. All right. Thank you, Chris. Bye-bye. Thanks, Sunday, for the interview. And thank you for listening to this Culture Matters podcast, episode number 50. So if you are liking what I do on this podcast, why don't you add a comment on the site, culturematters.com, or give a review or a rating in the iTunes store or possibly on Stitcher as well. I'd really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Take care. I'll be back with the next episode, which will be number 51. Take care. Till then. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode. The Culture Matters Podcast, helping you understand cultural diversity better by interviewing real people with real experiences.